Welcome to Fact and Science Fiction. I'm your host, Carly, and today I have a special guest. It is uh, Holly Griffith, um, engineer and I think a flight controller for the space shuttle missions and uh, worked at the International Space Station, but I'm going to let her actually uh, tell us where she's worked. So, uh, hi, Holly. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so I'm a former flight controller for the space shuttle and the space station. Um, That's what I used to do. Uh, Currently, I work on the Orion program, which uh, Orion is the vehicle that's supposed to be replacing the space shuttle. Um, I'm a vehicle systems engineer. My title, it's it's so ridiculously long. It's I think they just wanted to keep putting they didn't know really what we did. So they just kept adding words. Um, It's a a vehicle systems engineer um, in safety and mission assurance for the ECLAS system, which is Environmental Control and Life Support System. Um, I know, it's like, imagine trying to figure out your email signature. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sitting there like, okay, how do I shorten this? Um, But anyway, uh, so I work in, I'm an engineer, and I work in safety for the environmental systems for Orion. So there. There you go. So, um, yeah, that's hopefully that that gets the point across to everyone what I do a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like even the acronym would be longer <laughs> than most people's job titles. <laughs> I know it's yeah. ECLIS, uh So ECLIS, the environmental systems are uh, life support and thermal. So it's everything that keeps the crew alive um, and then keeps them like thermally comfortable. Like think of the air conditioning. So we don't want the vehicle to become too hot and we don't want it to be too cold and we want the astronauts to be comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like a, a, a bigger deal than I think people realize. Um, recently I read um, Mary Roach's Packing for Mars. That's one which my has, I feel bad. I have not read that yet. I know it's like my, my, my geek street cred just went down a little bit. <laughs> No, no, no. Like, uh, I, I'm sure she, she talked to people with, you know, your job. And so, uh, you lived it, but yeah, that can just kind of opens the, like open my mind to what work goes into missions like that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, could you talk more about what an environmental system is um because that was kind of new to me sure so um and the environmental systems are divided up like i said into two different um major uh parts i guess uh life support and thermal so the life support systems that's my primary system i'm a backup on the thermal system so i can talk more about life support Uh, i'm more comfortable with that life support systems are um things like the consumables which are um, water, oxygen, nitrogen. So those are the things that the astronauts would need to to consume to stay alive. But we also deal with things like um, that we want to keep the astronauts away from, you know, so we want to prevent things that we, like we want to prevent um, fire. You know, we don't, that's fire's bad. Mm-hmm. We don't want fire. Yeah. <laughs> we, we want to, um, 
we want to prevent or we want to keep um, air pressure. You know, we want to prevent a leak. So we want to prevent, you know, the containment of the air within the the capsule, the Orion capsule. So mm-hmm. things like that. So, you know, our oxygen and our nitrogen, that's our that's our air. That's our atmosphere. And then the, the water, of course, we drink um, things like the toilet. Right. They got to go. Mm-hmm. That's a yep. that's kind of a big deal. They don't like it when that breaks. <laughs> so um, that was actually my job on the space station was the space toilet. So it would always break on Friday or holidays. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's like of it, course. it had a mind of its own and it wanted to torture the flight controllers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's the, the life support system. Um, the thermal system. I can go into somewhat um, things like the the radiators. We radiate, you know, heat into space, and then um, they have some ammonia. That's what um, you know what circulates, and it it takes that heat away, and then radiates it into space. So, yeah, it's kind of like a little air conditioner, if you want to think of it that way. Yeah, except you know when. Here on Earth, when the air conditioner goes out, <laughs> right, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different, yeah. Well, I don't know. It depends if you're if it's in oh. August in Houston, then maybe. No, I'm joking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still worse than that, right? <laughs> so, how did you um, get into uh, into this? How did um, you start your career? Um, well, I was always fast. This is what I've always wanted to do was somehow be at NASA. You know, when I started out as a little kid, uh, I wanted to be an astronaut because that's what lo- every little kid wants to do. I think right. if if you want to go into this industry, you know, you start out by, you know, no one wants to be an engineer, I don't think. Like, I don't know if you know what that is. It's like you start out with the coolest path, right? And that's astronaut. And my dad was, um, he was a, big sci-fi fan. So Star Wars, Star Trek, the whole nine yards. And, and I'm an only child and you know, he didn't care that I'm a girl. And so he was like, you're going to, you know, at the time when I was growing up in the eighties, it was like the only Star Trek we had was the original series. So he was like, you're going to watch this and you're going to like it. And then he sat me down and he's like, you're going to watch Star Wars and you're going to like it. And I was like, fine with me. I mean, I loved it. And, uh, and so what really clicked with me was Princess Leia because there had never been a female character like her, right? Like she was just, right. she was the only girl in the universe for the most part for a while <laughs> yeah. that we knew. And she didn't care. Um, she never let it get to her. She just took charge and she was never self-conscious. She was, you know, always confident. And she, she just, I mean, think about in A New Hope, like when she meets, Vader, she's like, you know, the Senate's the Senate's not going to put up with your crap. You know, she meets Tark and she's like, you smell bad. She meets Luke, she's <laughs> like, you're short. She meets Han, she's like, oh, great. You know, you got us into this mess. Now, how are we going to get out of it? I mean, she just kind of insults everyone the first time she meets them. And um, and so going through school, like you know, engineering school, I was one of only two girls in my graduating class. And so Leia was just kind of this, like, she didn't care. And so I was like, why should I care? Um, and so she kind of got me interested, not well, not only interested in, in space, it was like, I want to be her, you know, I want to do that. But also she kind of gave me the confidence of it doesn't matter if you're the only girl in the room or on the planet or on the desk or whatever. Um, 
you can do this. And so that's, I guess, really what inspired me. But, um, but when I was in high school and looking at colleges, it was like, well, a lot of astronauts have an engineering degree. So I was like, okay, I'll do engineering. And looking at the different kinds, it was like, well, mechanical seems really versatile. So I did mechanical and, um, and then I, uh, I graduated and my first job was this, I got this job in uh, just South of Houston at this aeronautical company designing parts for airplanes. And then I kept applying at NASA and I got on with United Space Alliance, which isn't in business anymore, but it was, um, it was the, one of the primary operations contractors for, uh, at Johnson Space Center. And it was at Kennedy too. And, um, and that was my space shuttle flight control position. And um, it was actually, even though I was a mechanical engineer by degree, I was a, I was in a, um, it was for the electrical power system for the shuttle, which was, if you remember, I don't know how much you know about shuttle, but what powered shuttle was fuel cells. So the flight controllers are the people on the ground. If you've seen Apollo 13, Houston, we have a problem. We're literally Houston, you know, monitoring the data from the vehicle. And so that's what we would see was all the data from the fuel cells, the cryogenic oxygen and hydrogen tanks, and then all of the AC and DC power, you know, that powered all of the equipment on the vehicle. And so I did that from 2004 through 2011 when shuttle was retired and then I moved to station and I did that for about a year, (laughs) the space toilet. Um, it was actually the, um, operational support officer, but it was the mechanical group. We're kind of like the space handy men and women. And, uh, so that job was interesting because it was like, if you remember the scene in Apollo 13, where, they put everything on the table and they're like, you know, they have to right. make the, the carbon dioxide scrubber. They're like, this is what we have to work with. <laughs> you know? It's so funny that you brought up that scene because um, there was, uh, I'm in Kansas city and I went to that, uh, to the Comic-Con here and I saw this panel that was a bunch of, of sci-fi writers and they talk about one of the like, seminal things that they love that people don't talk um, you know enough about is that one scene in, in Apollo 13 of just how like and that's how you make like a space shuttle work is just a pe- people in a room just looking at what they have and just having to like figure it out um, they also brought up the Martian yeah. that like I'm gonna science the shit yeah. out of this I mean, it's true, right? Because only and the, and there are people who that's their job is to keep track mm-hmm. of everything on the space station. Because yeah, when things break, it's you don't you don't go to Home Depot. You can't, right? And Mm-mm. so no one can just bring it to you, and, like yeah. you know, out from the store. And the astronauts don't have time to go look for stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, so we have to know where it is. And so there are people who keep track of everything. They have to know where it is. And we have to know what we have. So when something breaks, it's like, all right, what are our options? What do we got? And so we have tools, but then tools aren't everything. So it's, you know, so this breaks and you never know what's going to break when and how it's going to break. And so you study the drawings and you just, just come up with something. Yeah. 
And so um, you write a procedure, you send it up to the crew and you tell them, okay, this is, this is what you need. Here are your materials. This is where they're located. Go get them. And this is what you're going to do. And it, you know, doesn't always work the first time <laughs> because I mean, think about it. Like we're telling them, you know, I mean, we have mock-ups on the ground and we, we work on it on the ground and we're like, okay, this is how we think it's going to work. But we're, we're, we have gravity down here. Right. Exactly. Now, now do it in space. Now do it in space. Right. And it's not exactly the same. So you know, what we're working on down here and what they have up there. And so, it, you know, it's not, you know, apples to apples. And so, so, you know, it, we do the best we can, but, but I mean, think about it. Station's been up there. It's been uh, crewed since what, 99, 2000. So we've done, you know, pretty good job so far. We've learned a lot. It sounds pretty stressful, like constantly to just not know what could go wrong and and not to have that control. You know, you're you're controlling a vehicle that's, you know, thousands of miles away. Uh, can you talk about like how well, that feels? Well, station's about 220-ish miles away. Oh, okay. um, but our group, we had about... Gosh, I don't remember how might be maybe like twenty five people in the group. So you you have breaks, right? Like you're not on console all the time. Like you'll have a couple of weeks where you're like, okay, I don't have to think about it. I have to worry about it, you know. And so it's the people who are working console who are, you know, the, they worry about it, and then they have to come up with the procedure. And yeah, you know, if they need help. Of course, they can, you know, they can call on you to, you know, hey, didn't you have something similar that one time where you did this thing? And so, yeah, you know, if they need help, of course, you're going to help them. But it's not like you're this person in the spotlight who's always like, it's your responsibility to come up with the thing whenever it breaks. And and it's it's not like things are constantly breaking all the time mm-hmm. every day. So, Gotcha. Only on Fridays, right? Only on Fridays or holidays. <laughs> the toilet. <laughs> and we have two toilets. So that's like, they're not like stranded. So yeah, that we have the, the there's one on the Russian side too. So sometimes the Russians are nice and they're like, you can use our toilet. <laughs> it's like, it's like when you're in a, in a bar or club or a concert or whatever. And it's like the women's line is, you know, a mile long. And there's like, two guys in line for the men's restroom. <laughs> They're like, come on. <laughs> um, so one of the things I'm interested in is uh, women in STEM. And you kind of mentioned it um, before being, you know, one of two uh, women in your, in your education and becoming an engineer. Um, and you didn't really, you said you didn't really care that much because you were going to be Princess Leia, who was just going to do what she wanted to do and what she had to do. But like, as you're older, do you reflect back on that time or do you talk to uh, girls and women who want to be engineers? And, yeah. and what do you think about that? I do. I do. I, um, well, I go around the country and I speak at, um, I speak at different conferences. Like I speak at, well, I speak at Star Wars Celebration. Um, I spoke in there a couple of times. I spoke this past year at Geek Girl Con. Um, I do Skype a scientist 
which uh, can I promote that? It's yeah, absolutely. Skypeascientist.com. If you're a scientist or an engineer, um, you go there and you fill out one form. Or if you're an educator, you go there and you fill out another form. And what they do is based on how you fill out the forms, they match you to, they match classrooms to the scientists and they match scientists to the classrooms. Uh, So I do that. And my... Yeah. And my husband's actually in education. So I, he puts me in touch with different things around the area. Um, I'm in the Johnson Space Center Speakers Bureau. So they put you in touch with different educational programs. Um, and yeah, so I'm very big in women in STEM because for me, it was very easy, but I, for whatever reason, it just, I think it was the way my dad raised me. I don't know. I'm a, just being a nerd, um, big gamer, big into sci-fi. So I find this guy's world, I don't know, very easy to operate in. And I think for a lot of women, it's very intimidating. And I don't say that in a bad way, because when I talk to these, when I talk to a lot of these women and girls, it's like, I could see, you know, they're not used to that. They, they've, didn't grow up in that environment. And so I try to, that's why I try to go around and talk to them and be like, you know, Hey, look, it's, it's okay. It's like, it's really not that bad. And, and sometimes the school part of it, you know, there was four years of college when maybe people aren't as mature. Um, maybe that's just the worst part of it. And so if you can just get through that part, um, like NASA is a great place to work. So it's like, once you get, you know, to where you're going to go, once you get to your career, it's, you know, it's really, it's not as intimidating. And then, you know, some people, once they get to college, it's, you know, they love it. And it's not, it's really not as intimidating as they, as they think it is in their head. So that's why I like to reach out to them and be like, look, I'm, you know, I'm normal. I'm not, you know, I'm not just some old, not some dude in a lab coat who just, you know, walks around and with my calculator and my pocket protector and, (laughs) you know, can't have a conversation about, I don't know, whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they call that in psychology, just stereotype threat. I know. I know. And, and I think that that's, I think it's getting better that we're, I think we're doing a better job. Maybe I don't, but maybe we're not because it's like when I graduated, um, women were still 20% of engineers or when I graduated, we were 20% of engineers and today we're still only 20% of engineers. So maybe we're not doing such a great job. I don't know. Maybe whatever we've been doing, um, hasn't been working. So I don't know. It can be. It can be frustrating, but maybe the 20% or they'll move up into um, like more executive roles. Yeah, maybe. Compared to the Maybe. Past. I mean, it's a, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, I feel like women in STEM has been such a push for so long. Like, and it's easy to say, right? Like, oh, just, you know, start a club at your school and go talk to these you know, this class or go talk to that class and just show them that we exist. And I feel like we've been doing that. So it's like, ah, maybe that's not the problem. I don't know. I I mean, I'm not saying I have the answer, but. Right. Right. But yeah, I didn't know that about the, the same rate as 
was years ago. Yeah. But you got to keep trying, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah, I'm up. not saying that we should oh, abandon yeah. the effort, but I'm just saying maybe mm-hmm. we need to, whatever we're doing, maybe we need to add something else to it. So um, I wanted to talk uh, more about your love of science fiction. Um, I Obviously, Star Wars and Star Trek was uh, really integral to um, you choosing to be this uh, engineer and wanting to go to NASA. But I was just wondering if there were more recent examples, like what um, what do you love now? I love The Martian um, mm-hmm. because Andy Weir tried so hard to and he did a great job and it wasn't perfect. But he tried so hard to get it right the science right. And even though mm-hmm. it was science fiction, um, I love that he put so much work in getting the science right. And he wasn't just like, oh, we're just gonna, you know, like so many other people who try to write science fiction, they're just like, we're just gonna have like Armageddon or something, you know, where we're just gonna do this. And we're just gonna throw this out there and just have this action scene just because and you know, it was, it was a good movie. It, it was a hit. It attracted a large, you know, audience it, it, it was appealing to a lot of, you know, a, a diverse group of people. And, um, and it was great. And the book was good. The movie was good. It's so it shows you that you don't have to throw the science out the window in order to be good, to be good science fiction. And so, I, I just, yeah, I really, I read the book. Um, I saw the movie and I just thought they were both really, really, really well done. So kudos to him. And I heard that he's actually making a mission control TV show. So I don't know when that's supposed to be done. I reached out to him. I was like, if you need a consultant. So <laughs> that's awesome because uh, that, that panel I went to at um, Planet Comic Con, the, uh, they talked about like a kind of West Wing kind of show mm-hmm. about NASA yeah. and they just couldn't get it off the ground. And I was oh. like, why not? Oh, okay. Wait, was that? So there were two. There was Andy Weir and then there was another, a couple years ago, there was like another mission control show that didn't happen. So was this the Andy I- Weir one? I don't think so because okay. I think she was talking about it like in the past. Okay, okay. Like I don't know if she she knew about Andy Weir, okay, but okay. now that I do, yeah, uh, that just sounds awesome. Yeah, and I was going to bring that. Up. I don't know what it's called, and this I haven't followed up on it in like a year, so maybe it's not a thing anymore. I don't know. I'd have to look. I haven't, like I said, I haven't followed up on it, so I'd have to go back and research it. I don't remember what it was called. I don't even know if it had a name, but. I saw something about it on Facebook. So, yeah, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I will keep an eye out too. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, so it just raised the bar, I think, for a lot of people who are, you know, like doing that. We're just doing science fiction in general. And I think it brought, um, I thought it brought a lot of great publicity and attention to NASA and, and just the space genre, you know, in general. So, yeah, and just the um, the different groups of people, the different departments that um, worked 
toward it. Like I was thinking about um, Donald Glover's role yeah. as just the person doing the math yeah. and um, the public relations people. Right. It, right. It was, yes. It did a really good it really job. It did. It really did. Cause um, when I do, when I do go around and, and do talks about NASA, there's, you know, when you're talking to a group of kids, there's uh, NASA's pretty universal. Like every, for the most part, the majority of kids are interested in NASA, but you're, you're always going to have a few kids who are like, well, you know what, math and science, I'm just, I'm not good at it. It's not my thing, but I'm still interested in NASA. So I always try to point out that, you know what, you can be, you know what NASA needs? We need space lawyers. We need communications majors. We need people who can sew and sew the astronaut spacesuits. We need, um, we need artists to do things for NASA TV. We need web designers. And so you try to point out all those other different careers and they're like, whoa, like I never thought like I can be a musician, you know, to do music for the programs on NASA TV and still work at NASA. And so they think, they think that it's like you have to be an engineer or you have to be an astronomer or something, but it's like, no, you need all kinds of careers. So yeah. And so, and like, you're right. The Martian did do a really good job of pointing that out. Are there any other examples? Um, Or you can talk about shows you mentioned or movies you mentioned Armageddon that just (laughs) turned it turned sci-fi into more of like an action. Yeah. Like explosions every 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is. It was, I, I'm not, I enjoyed it, but it was, if you, you have to go into it knowing what to expect, I guess, like you're, you know, I'm not going to be expecting like some Oscar worthy, um, <laughs> performance, I guess when they were launching the two space shuttles at the same time, it was like, okay. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of other recent like science, like, um, books that have, or, really um things that i enjoy there there've been a couple of science fiction books i guess that came out but i i didn't i guess the martian was just so i was just so blown away that yeah there was interstellar was so weird it was so far out there that it was yeah it just blew my head open i was like i have no idea what's going on but it was a good movie and the concept i think was really good and i liked the um yeah, I liked that he was kind of an old school NASA guy. So I liked um, um, Matthew McConaughey's character. I just towards the end, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" It was that whole the time it did go turn, thing. Kind of a left turn. Yeah, yeah. But I liked it. Uh, I think I watched The Martian and Interstellar like yeah, back to back, yeah. and you want to make <laughs> you want to make Interstellar really weird. Um, <laughs> watch it right after The Martian, yeah. a very grounded. Uh, grounded sci-fi movie and then you just watch Interstellar and it's like oh wow The Martian could have been this but I like that it kind of um, you know seems so real yeah. and that this could happen yeah. I um, I don't know if this is really sci-fi but I, there was and the, there were some books I read like a few years ago but I was really into like post-apocalyptic fiction and now it's like it's becoming too close to reality, so I kind of stay away from it. But um, I understand. Well, like I was playing. Um, well, I well the road. I thought the road was really good. It was a really good book. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was if you'd really call it science fiction. Um, but yeah, that's a good good point. I 
because sci-fi is often takes place in the future and it's often like a dystopian take. Yeah. I view dystopian yeah. as science fiction, like it goes back and forth. Um, the road was very depressing. Yeah, it was so though. depressing. I couldn't even watch the movie. Was so, I couldn't yeah, watch the, the movie. movie. Was, yeah, that was um, and so like Walking Dead type type stuff. So I I don't know if you'd really just zombies. I don't know. I don't know if you would consider that straight up science fiction, but. Um, um, if shows or TV or movie or what have you, if they have some sort of at least attempt to explain it okay. in a scientific way, it at least makes it a little bit okay. sci-fi. So when yeah, Walking Dead, like the, the first yeah, season. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So that is my broad okay. definition of okay. science fiction. And so, I guess I kind of have to address it because the hardcore Star Wars fans are going to be like, or even the the hardcore Star Wars haters are going to be like, Star Wars is not science fiction. It's a space opera. So let's just put it out there. I will, I will go with either definition. I'm not bound to either one. So (laughs) I love Star Wars too. Yeah. I guess people call it space Space fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. So I can see I welcome all definitions. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with anyone who wants to, wants to come and pound their fists and just scream at me that it's not (laughs) science fiction. Okay. You're right. You're all right. (laughs) (laughs) And also the people who want to make the argument that, um, you know, you have to pick a side Star Trek or Star Wars. I will argue with you because they are completely different. So yeah, it's it's like yeah, it's like picking I don't know pizza or a salad. It's come on now, <laughs> right? You don't have you don't have yeah. to choose. People who make you choose are just right, being yeah. jerks because they, they have, have an answer their, and they just right. want to argue. They just have the word "star" in the name. It's so anyway, but yeah, so. Yeah, I think Star Wars just came along at that time where I was at certain age. And so Princess Leia was just there at that special time in my life. So anyway. Well, I have just one more question that is, um, I just wanted your thoughts on um, SpaceX and uh, these private companies trying to take up the mantle of of space exploration. I I think it's great. I think... um, my gosh, the more space exploration, the better, right? Like I wish, I mean, they've been doing such amazing things. I mean, the car, (laughs) who thinks of that? Like it's so innovative. Um, The government would never do that. We couldn't. And that, and so, you know, just to take up for NASA. um, Well, first of all, I would like to say we did have the first car in space. We took it to the moon and we drove around on it in it. So just let me put that out there. But anyway, um, but no, so with NASA and now I'll get back to SpaceX. Um, NASA is bound by what Congress tells us to do. So if Congress gives us a $10 bill, they say you have to spend $2 on the space shuttle. You have to spend $2 on the space station. You have to spend $2 on Hubble. You have to spend $2 on Mars and you have to spend $2 on a probe to Saturn or whatever, you know, obviously just making it very simplified. 
So if NASA says, but we want to do something really cool, like put this car up there, you know, Congress would be like, are you kidding me? So even the, the engineers don't get to make the call on what we do. It's all the politicians. So. Right. And they don't, right. And no, they, they don't, don't know. They don't know anything. And, about it. Yeah. They're, they're not the most innovative group of people in the world. So, you know, NASA's constrained by, like I said, a group of this group of old guys in Washington. And so um, for SpaceX to come along, you know, they're younger. Uh, well, the people making the decisions are younger. I mean, NASA has a lot of young people working there, but we don't get to make the decisions. So um, just to have, you know, such a younger and more innovative work uh, or decision-making group of people and the ability, you know, not just to have these ideas, but the ability to execute these ideas is, you know, so cool. And so I think that, I mean, them doing this, think about it. It's going to energize people to be interested in space for everyone. Because when I was growing up, we had the shuttle and we would see these, you know, shuttle launches. I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And, you know, you'd watch these shuttles go up and then they would do cool things like, you know, we had the Hubble Space Telescope and then they started building the space station and it was like, oh my God, it's awesome. And then, you know what? Shuttle went away. And so what do these kids have to see now? You know what? Our astronauts are paying like $70 million a seat per seat to ride on a Russian rocket to go up to the space station. That's not exciting for kids. <laughs> That's not cool. So they see this SpaceX rocket launch this car and they're like, oh <laughs> That's cool. You know what? I want to go work in the space program. And now they have so many options. They have NASA. They have SpaceX. They have, you know, Boeing's doing their own um, uh, uh, vehicle, This the CST-100. And then Sierra Nevada's doing their thing. And then Bigelow wants to do, like, this inflatable space station. So there's so many options. So I think it's great. You know, the more the merrier. Come on. I mean, let's put a base on the moon. Let's go to Mars. Let's do it all. Let's all the things that we dreamed about when when I was a kid that I thought we would have by now. Let's do it. I agree. So um, that's all I have. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I'm so glad that you just tweeted out randomly that you were <laughs> open to being on podcasts i don't know like someone i know i uh, yeah it was it was for engineering week i wanted to just do something for engineering week which was last week but yeah no it absolutely worked out like for for a lot but yeah so i still got it out there so yeah no great thanks for having me i was i was so surprised by the response i can't believe so many people retweeted it For you, the listeners of Fact and Science Fiction, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Now, if you listen to podcasts, then you should definitely listen to audiobooks. I recommend Jeff Vandermeer's book, Annihilation, about four female scientists and their exploration of the mysterious Area X. Listen to the audiobook before you see the movie. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash factandsci-fi. 
Again, that's audibletrial.com slash factandsci-fi for your free audiobook. I want to thank Holly Griffith again for being on the podcast. It was really interesting to talk to someone who's actually worked at NASA and for the space station. Also, before I sign off, I wanted to do a little bit of a housekeeping announcement. So um, after this podcast episode comes out, which should be um, the 27th or 28th of February, I'm going to take a short break um, during the month of March to prepare for Klexicon. Uh, Think of it as a hiatus, a winter hiatus. Um, I just want to do more research for the part two discussion of gender and sexuality for Klexicon in Las Vegas. Um, I have invited Michelle Lopez, the co-host of the Winona Earp fan podcast, There's Something in the Air. That's air as an H-E-I-R. I've asked her to join me on the live show uh, just to have another voice um, as we talk about gender and sexuality. Um, We're going to be talking about LGBT representation. We're going to be talking about uh, women and non-binary folks um, in sci-fi, as well as um, what sociological research uh, tells us about LGBT representation and women in science fiction. So I'm really excited for that. Um, If you're just now joining us, Uh, Please check out old episodes on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. When I come back, I will have new round of episodes uh, covering life on other planets, government conspiracies. We'll be diving even deeper into space travel as well as time travel. I mean, I have all kinds of um, episodes lined up, so... I will see you in Las Vegas for Klexicon, and I will definitely see you back here in April. Follow the podcast at Fact and Sci-Fi. That's Fact, A-N-D, Sci-Fi on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Check out other content at the blog at factandsci-fi.blogspot.com. And lastly, thanks for listening.